The Fiona. Episode 189. The one where the abominable David desolates your eschatology. The Fionauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you in-timers out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The The Fionnots! Hey, David, how are you? I'm good, man. How's it going? Uh, It's going good. I've been stuck at home for a couple days. The staff of Village Baptist had to isolate because uh, there was another COVID case. And so uh, today, Blakely, I took our four-year-old to get COVID tested, which is never fun. Mm, Sticking something in her nose. nose. Oh, it's terrible. So that poor little girl, like she's been through the ringer. Yes, she has. She She swallowed a a marble, right? So yesterday we took her to the ER because she swallowed a marble. Uh, And so we have really cool x-rays with this marble inside her stomach. And it's been really fun for Daddy because guess what I get to do, David? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, keep laughing it up, man. Just keep yucking it up. I get to strap on the old gloves every time she uh, goes number two and excavate the poo in the toilet. Today, I got Chick-fil-A for dinner because I was really craving Chick-fil-A. And then right after that, like, we went number two and I threw up all of my dinner. I just couldn't handle it. It was so horrible. And bad news, no marble, so we're going to have to have fun tomorrow doing this. It just keeps going on. <laughs> oh man, it cracks me up. I think I think you should like make a, a video blog of this. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me that. I'm sure that people want to see me uh, <laughs> on video messing with poo. <laughs> It's it's not fun, David. Oh, it's you horrible. Could, you could put on the pit helmet, and you could be like archaeology. You know, it could be. <laughs> Crikey! There's a piece of corn in here. Look at that! Oh, better not disturb that guy. Uh, I don't Looking think so, for David. <laughs> you could get a little pick, like <laughs> sure. <laughs> Great idea. So, what's your weekend been like, David? <laughs> it hasn't been that exciting. Oh, man. <laughs> I bet not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you so, were telling me about your concert. Oh, yes. We watched Behold the Lamb of God uh, live from the Ryman Theater. Or, uh, is it the auditorium? Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Andrew Peterson and company, in case you guys don't know what Behold the Lamb of God is, it's only the best Christmas concert you'll ever see. Right. Like, ever. I Man, listen, 
you're preaching to the choir. I uh, I discovered this back in like 2004 or something, whenever it first came out. And no, it was, yeah, it was 2004, 2005. Anyways, I had Yeah, they've been burnt, doing it like 20 years or something. Yeah, I had a burnt CD that a friend gave me. He's like, you got to listen to this album. And uh, I just instantly became the biggest Andrew Peterson fan. I got to watch it live three years ago and you got to watch it live two years ago, right? Last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last year. Oh man. And it's just, it'll make you cry every time. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh good. Just powerful. Yeah. So one of the things that it's not your traditional Christmas concert, like you won't get, well, he does, um, he does one hymn, one Christmas carol in it, but it doesn't do any of the lyrics. It's just an instrumental. Right. Um, Oh, come on, come Emmanuel. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, On the album it is. Yes. And so there's, um, uh, but aside from that, what it does do is it starts like from the beginning and tells the buildup to the story of Jesus. Like it ends with Jesus being born. And uh, so it's like this, this whole thing. uh, It goes through the ancestry and through the history of the Bible, looking for a king. Uh, like, it's just this huge, epic um, musical journey. Yeah. Well, it's basically the story of the Bible leading up to Christ's birth, which is mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. So when you say it starts at the beginning, it starts at the beginning. You know, it, yes. it starts with man's fall and then uh, and then Israel's, you know, lineage and... Oh my goodness! When he hits, Matthew's talks about the begats. Passover. Yeah, the Passover. Like it just, it just really works every all the the concepts that build up to who Christ was, right? And, it, and and he does it like some of it's obviously like very serious. Some of it's very tongue in cheek, funny, uh, like the whole uh, Matthew's begats song, yeah. <laughs> where he sings the entire lineage of Jesus from the book of Matthew. <laughs> Abraham had Isaac. I just. It helped me. I actually memorized that song so that I know Matthew's begats now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love it, dude. And, and he's always like the really funny uh, part in the middle of it where he's talking about Jeconiah and how he lost the kingdom. And then he's like, because he was a liar. Yeah. And then he's like, well, that's not exegetically correct. <laughs> but it rhymed. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and he wasn't a great king. It was Jehoiakim, no, he was bad, right? Poor- uh, yeah, he was a horrible king. <laughs> yeah, he's a horrible king. So it kind of fits, you know. Yeah. So, but anyway, it was a it's a great show. And what he's doing right now, he's been doing it for like twenty years. So what he's doing now is he's basically gearing it up so that it can continue in his absence. Right. Like like he's bringing in new new artists, and he's. Uh, He's getting us used to hearing other artists sing these songs and that sure. sort of thing. And uh, it's kind of like a passing of a torch. He kind of sees it as being um, a, an entity of its own. that's going to just right. kind of grow and carry on without him. That's uh, awesome. But that's it's hard to imagine it without him, though. I mean, yeah, he's such I mean, a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's the guy that wrote all of it. So did he do Deliver Us? Or not delivers, um, uh, not delivers. Um, is he worthy? Yes, yes. That's the, one of the first songs that he does. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So and it's and it's like, um, he does it liturgically, 
like as yeah. a response uh, singing. So he doesn't he doesn't sing the answers at all. Like he expects the audience to sing the answers. So he asks the questions and then just kind of leaves it <laughs> and lets the audience answer. Beautiful. So that's really really cool. I love it. Wow. So anyways, <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's cool. So yeah, we're in our second week of Advent. We are. So I don't know. I don't know how many of you guys out there, you know, are doing things for Advent. We <laughs> Protestants, you know, it's it's kind of a new thing for most of us. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Like yeah. I absolutely love it. We're doing an Advent study um, at the way, and it's a pretty cool a little study called When God Came Down. And what it does is each week it looks at the perspective of a different player in the Advent story. So, so the, in the, in the, the nativity story. So last week we looked at, um, at, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Oh, cool. And, and, and looked at their, <clears throat> how it, it, it seemed from their perspective. And each one of these rolls into the traditional theme Right of Advent, uh, and they also focus on spiritual disciplines each week. So, uh, so like for example, uh, one of the things the angel tells Zechariah when he sees him in the in the temple is, "I heard your prayer," and this is an answer to your prayer. And then right. Zechariah doesn't really believe him right off the bat, and so he gets struck mute. And <laughs> then whenever John the Baptist is born. Zechariah burst into song, like he right. burst into this big worship uh, uh, song. And so like the spiritual disciplines that we looked at in that week would, would, be, um, would be prayer, silence, mm-hmm. which is a spiritual discipline that a lot of people neglect, and then worship. So it was just uh, it's, it's a really cool way of doing it, I think. So That's it's, awesome. It's wow. been pretty rich. I'm doing a, a little reading with Blakely every night, which is just an Advent reading. But the the crazy one I'm doing is with my youth. Every week I send them a new uh, study, but uh, it's based off of it's really stupid. But it's based it's based off of the Among Us video game that everybody's yes, playing. Yes, uh-huh. right. And so every week there's a new little study that goes along. So this <clears> week was venting uh which getting alone basically so in the game if you're a killer you can vent and it it gets you away from different players you know and gets you right. alone so the idea is getting alone and contemplating the advent <laughs> with <laughs> with Christ which is pretty cool uh but like every week is just another little card thing i send out which is it's it's pretty funny but it's <laughs> pretty dumb too but the kids are eating it up they're loving it so anything oh yeah it's something focused on advent they're yeah. familiar with yeah that's right and so the, it's Very. it's going over pretty well <laughs> <laughs> i think that's that's uh pretty cool yeah. so oh and then last week we launched our new podcast right the- theopop theopop where we where we examine uh pop culture from a theological standpoint and we Started with the CBS television series, Evil, season one. Yes. And so I really enjoyed doing that. Like, I, I thought that was, a, I thought it was really great. I had a good time. It was a lot of fun. And it, it was shocking how, 
uh, I mean, how many correlations we could draw from it and then and see in it from a spiritual standpoint. I had a lot of fun doing that. So it was really great. I can't wait to uh, do more Theopop. Uh, it's going to be a lot more, I guess, cheesy, but at the same time, pretty awesome. So, <laughs> so be looking <laughs> yeah, forward still, to that. I still need to work on the produ- the production a little bit, get some, sure. uh, some more clips and stuff, but um, but yeah, it seems to be doing, you know, pretty okay. We've had, it was, you know, of course it's a brand new podcast with a, you know, the first episode and we haven't like marketed it right. very much outside of our Theonauts listeners. Right. You know, uh, we haven't really done much marketing. And, uh, <clears throat> so we had, we've had like 30 listens so oh, wow. far the first week, which isn't bad. No, it's not, not bad having, at all. Not having been out there and not, not hitting all the search engines yet, uh, right. just now got it registered with a lot of the uh, registries out there. But it is in Apple Music now. Yeah, so, so go check that out if you want. <clears throat> it's a it's a pretty neat little uh, podcast that we're going to do every other week. So we'll do Theonauts every other week and then Theopop every other week. So yes. we're excited. It's great. Good deal. Okay, we ready to get going? Hey, let's do this. Right, so this is another one of our uh, uh, building off of a sermon that we did. Right. <laughs> so I, I did I did this sermon um, a few weeks ago, and um, it's been one of these things that you know we've talked about eschatology um, off and on on the podcast, right? But we've never like dove deep into it. Uh, we've always just kind of pre- presented it as. You know, there's four major views and and then some ancillary views as well on Revelation and end times and this sort of thing. And we've kind of left it at that. We've, you know, alluded to some of our opinions about it, but we don't take a hard stance on eschatology. I don't don't think it's wise to take a hard stance on eschatology and the the reasons. Well, okay. So I, I take a medium stance on it but i number one it's in the future so uh you don't know (laughs) nobody nobody knows for sure maybe maybe it's in the future (laughs) because a lot of this yeah a lot of this is prophecy so prophecy is a big deal in scripture and then number two it doesn't change your uh fundamental beliefs now for some people, it might change them quite a bit. Um, for example, uh, theonomists base their belief off of eschatology. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's wise to base your... <clears throat> Going backwards. Like starting at what I think about the end times and let, letting that dictate what I think about Christ's uh, teachings and his doctrines. Right. And th- I think that's a problem. When you do that, you run into a, a lot of issues. And so it's kind of backwards. Yeah, it is backwards, and I don't think it's wise. It's just not wise to let that di- dictate the rest of your theology. And so, um, I mean, I've I've taught eschatology. I can I can teach it. I I can teach the different views, but I never teach one. This is this is God's word. This is what it says, and this is right. You know, right. the view that's correct. 
because I don't think I can say that honestly. I can say this is what I think, but mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think it's ever wise to to land on. I, this and I it. I agree a hundred percent that we should um, we should be um, open minded about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that kind of made me want to do the study in the light that I did it in, um, was because, um, we primarily hear one view. If you're listening to Christian media much, um, not necessarily podcasts, but mainstream radio, like if you're, if you're listening to preachers on the radio, um, and they're talking about end times, you're pretty much getting us a one-sided view of it. Almost all of these guys are dispensational futurists. And that may seem like a big word to you or whatever, but it simply means that, uh, you know, we talked about four major views of uh, the end times. There's, there's the futurists Mm -hmm. who believe that all this prophecy is yet to come. It's all in the future. It's all, you know, in our future. Uh, it's all yet to come. Then there are historicists who believe that this picture of prophecy uh, in the scriptures is a picture of um, of the history of mankind, and so it spans both past and history. I mean, past and future. Um, you've got spiritualists who basically or believe. <laughs> yes, that it's yeah. all it's all metaphor for right. uh, your experiences. Like it's not actually talking about events that we need to be looking forward to or events that have occurred uh, as much as it's talking about uh, how we deal with things. Yeah, and everything is symbolism. Yeah. <clears throat> the Christian walk. And then you have uh, preterism. Yeah. So the preterists believe that um, a full preterist, like, uh, a full preterist, preterist believes that everything in prophecy that we read about in the Bible has transpired, right? It, and, and that it and that it was all the the major view in that camp is that uh, everything was fulfilled roughly at seventy A.D. at the destruction of the temple, right? And, and then ongoing from this, you have uh, moderate preterists, you have full preterists, you have moderate historicists. Um, you mm-hmm. have full progressives, uh, historists, you, you have moderate futurists, uh, that, that, uh, that say that, well, most of, of the prophecy is, is for the future, but some of it was, you know, uh, according to the times and a moderate futurist really split, uh, with the, the passages we're going to talk today, talk about today, the Olivet discourse. And then you mm-hmm. have, uh, well, idealists or, or symbolists, they're they're not. I mean, if you're an idealist, or uh, uh, you're, you're basically like full blown, like you believe everything symbol. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, but there are some that that claim to be moderate, uh, um, you know, moderate idealists. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's spectrum. It's it's a it's a spectrum of different. Uh, yes. eschatological beliefs out there and uh, it's a myriad to wander through and even if I mean even if you're a dispensationalist you still have uh, are you a, you know a pre-trib dispensationalist a post-trib dispensationalist <laughs> a, yes. an 
all millennial dispensations. Yeah, you have millennial views that 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 are somewhat tied to it. Sometimes you can hold one view and still hold a different millennial view. Right. <laughs> so it's a there is a lot of mixing and matching. Yes. Um, part of what I wanted to do was because I think I speak for you as well. I fall primarily. I, primarily, I fall into a moderate preterist viewpoint. Yeah, me too. And I, I believe most of what we read in Scripture in prophecy is pointed at the destruction of Jerusalem as far as right. end times are concerned, the, the eschatology passages. And um, so that's how I'm going to present this. And the reason why I wanted to do it is because, uh, from that view, is because it doesn't get airplay. And so I got to thinking about this, especially with COVID happening and everybody talking about this is the end. And, and of course, every time a major world event or, you know, a major famine, a major pestilence, a major war, like every time there is some, a cold war, everything, there's always this end times dialogue. Right. I wanted to get just real fast into the history of why, just real quick. Why, why is it that when you hear in Christian in in modern American Christian culture, why is it mostly all uh, pre-tribulation dispensationalist um, futurists? And the answer actually goes back to a couple of different very, very um, popular pastors and preachers. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, if you go back 100 years or 150 years, right? Uh, dispensationalism and especially uh, pre-tribulation dispensationalists were not the popular, it was not the popular viewpoint. You, you can look at people like Edwards, who was a full-blown preterist, uh, or people like um, even even uh, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a futurist, but he was a lot more. He was not a he was he wasn't a pre-trib dispensationalist. Um, it, but you can look at all these different people. So there are a couple major things that happen. One of them is the Schofield Study Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so Schofield was a pastor um, who be became pretty famous and uh and did a a study bible um and it it became probably the most popular and wide you know biggest spread selling uh study bible on the market in america um mm-hmm. yeah. and most people bought into his view based on the fact that it's what it said in the notes and it's in my bible so that's what i'm going to believe right <laughs> Um, and then you have people like, uh, Jerry Jenkins who yeah. comes along or before uh, him, Hal Lindsey, how yeah, Lindsey's a big deal. Hal Lindsey in the sixties and seventies really pushed, um, the pre-trib, uh, dispensational, uh, futurism and, and presented it as fact, like right. scriptures plainly teach yeah. this is what it is. And he wrote a book called the um, called Great. Apocalypse Code. Well, he oh. wrote Late Great Planet Earth, which was the yes. big seller. Right. But I wanted to mention Apocalypse Code because Apocalypse Code basically gave his hermeneutics, 
Like it yeah. basically said, these are the triggers that made me come to these uh, understandings. And he went as far to say, up until this point in history, no man could have interpreted the revelation because <laughs> of modern technology, because, right. because modern technology is involved in these visions. And John, whenever he saw locusts coming out of the bottomless pit, um, he described them as locusts with the, with the tails of scorpions and et cetera, et cetera. He says what he was seeing was Apache helicopters yeah. and he had no way to explain Apache right. helicopters. Right. So he told and, you, okay. So, yeah. uh, and then, so anyway, the, I want to, yeah. I want to, I'll rebuttal that in a little bit, but go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, then Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye come along. <laughs> yes. And right. The most famous of our, eschatological writings and it was all fiction uh the left behind series which becomes mm, the yes. number one best-selling christian book series in america mm-hmm. and everybody buys into it to the point where there's movie upon movie um and i remember oh my goodness movies before left behind uh but like one of them and i can't remember the name of it but it was about, of course, the rapture. It yeah. scared me half to death when I was a kid. I just remember there was a scene where a wife wakes up and she looks over and her husband's not there. And she gets up and she walks into the bathroom and his electric ra- razor is buzzing in the sink. <laughs> right? Yeah. And his f- clothes are all folded neatly, sitting beside the sink. And he's gone. Wedding and, rings laying on the floor. <laughs> right. And, and so, and then all the, like, she clicks on the radio and she starts hearing all the disasters that's, that are happening, like cars wrecking into one another mm, and airplanes yeah. falling from the sky. And uh, one of the biggest songs based off of this was a song that I used to love. I And DC Talk did a remake of it, but I wish we'd all been ready. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know this song. Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us are trampled on the floor. Wish we'd all been ready. So, anyways, but uh, I mean, it was a. I didn't under. I didn't know until I got older in my twenties that there were actually different views. I grew mm-hmm. up. That's thinking, the truth. That's the truth of the it. Bible. Yeah, yeah. It's one day the trumpet's going to sound and all the Christians are going to disappear and go with Jesus in the sky and everybody else is going to get left behind. Right. And And have to suffer through three and a half years of tribulation. Tribulation. That's right. And the prophets. And then Mm. you're going to have the millennial reign. And then Jesus is going to come back with his army and, and uh, set up heaven on earth. Right. Yeah. So, So, you know, ever since all this stuff started, people have been guessing. Yes. Like trying to pinpoint who's who's the Antichrist? What's the mark of the beast? Who's the beast? Who's the woman who rides the beast? Uh, what's the number of the beast have to do with anything? You know, yes. there's been all this speculation about all those signs that you read in the in the revelation and it's in the Pope. <laughs> and yeah, it, the Pope has been tagged as the Antichrist. I mean like uh, you name it um Osama bin Laden yes. um I mean we've gone through so much history uh, Ayatollah Khomeini or whatever like <laughs> that there's been like all these guesses the end is near because of of what's crazy things that are happening in the world right now right and so right now you hear all that on the radio 
And so um, I am not a proponent to that these things are signs of what we read in the Revelation because I believe most of these signs we're quote-unquote looking for, I believe have already happened. Okay. (laughs) And I know that's a stretch for some of you because just like you said, people are raised with these thoughts that this is treated just like, um, you know. But um, I've got another book called The Apocalypse Code, which I thought was kind of cool. He added the article The in front of the Hal Lindsey wrote Apocalypse Code. Apocalypse Uh, Code. (laughs) Hank Hanegraaff wrote The Apocalypse Code, and Hank Hanegraaff is a preterist. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff is now kind of somewhat lost cred with Protestant Christians because he converted to uh, Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> right. But uh, the his, Bible this answer book, man, by the way. Yeah, he is. The, he is the Bible answer man. But his, uh, but this book is actually pretty sound and it doesn't really, it doesn't really point to any of the specifics except all it does is point to hermeneutics mm-hmm. and it talks about what good hermeneutics are. And, Jumping, making the leap from locusts to Apache helicopters is not good hermeneutics. No, it's not. Uh, Instead, let's look at what the Bible says about locusts. Let's look at what the Bible says about scorpions. Let's look at what the Bible says about... So every sign, every one of these things that are in these apocalyptic writings have Old Testament correlation. Like, none none of it's new to the uh, John's writing. Like, it all... All those things have pictures that were already painted. And this is apocalyptic speech, which is a form. It's a it's a literary genre. Right. And and in the literary genre of apocalyptic writings, you have these symbols which are metaphoric and they represent other things. They're, they're not meant to be taking taken quite so literally. Um and then add on top of that, not only is it, is it apocalyptic, it's prophetic. So at the time of its writing, it was projecting something as a message from God that would happen. So you mix those two together. So now you have apocalyptic prophecy. Right. And it was also written in the form of a letter. They were talking about Revelation. So... You've got three major genres blending together. It's no wonder we can't figure this thing out. And <laughs> honestly, I don't think we were intended to. That's not the point of the writing. It says, blessed is he who reads it, blessed is he who listens to it, and heeds the things that are in it. In other words, it's about being watchful, and it's about prophecy is always uh, written to be so that we would admire God after the fact of having known what was going to happen. It's never meant to uh, be a, a, a crystal ball into your future. Sure. And so I think we, when we get into the date setting and all that, we've gone totally off the rails. So all that said, <laughs> just a, a quick disclaimer. We're not experts in this. Nobody really is, to be honest. Like we don't have the answers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wanted to present a somewhat different view, which I think is theologically sound. I believe it's, it's good hermeneutics. I believe that the text is, is exegetically uh, looked at properly in this view. And so I, I wanted to present just one passage. We're not going to talk about the revelation at all. (laughs) 
Nope. Well, maybe a little at the end, but 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 mostly, I want to talk about Jesus's Olivet Discourse that happens in uh, Matthew chapter twenty-four. But I want to do a little bit of a prelude so that we get the context sure. of what's of what's being said. So um, I want to begin at the end of Matthew 23. So because remember, these chapter breaks were added much later. So in chapter 23, we have this event. It's at the end of Jesus's ministry. Uh, he has been in the temple for at least a week <clears throat> preaching and teaching in the temple. And right. almost every single day, he is getting harassed by the Pharisees in one way or the other. And um, when we get up to Matthew 23, he's basically had it. <laughs> he's, he, he basically unloads on them. And that's the familiar passage. Oh, woe unto you, you vipers, you right. brood of snakes. You know, like he, uh, you hypocrite, you hypocrites. How can you be saved from the fires of hell? Like he is like going to town on them, right? Yes. And one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, by the way, <laughs> Matthew 23. <laughs> yeah, he totally goes off on them. Uh, but that righteous anger turns to despair and feelings of despair and woefulness. And you can tell his heart is breaking because these are his people. Let's not forget that Jesus was a Jew through and through. He was born to be king of the Jews. He was born in the tribe of Judah, and he loves these people that he is at odds with. They're, they're not his enemies in his mind. They are his family that are not accepting him. And so at the end of chapter 23, he makes this huge lament. Um, so... Do you want to read my scriptures for me? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I've got. Do you want me to read I, them in the Passion Translation? Or do you want me to read them in? You, you can read them in any translation you want. Um, okay. But I want to look at Matthew twenty-three, verse thirty-six through thirty-nine. Okay. It says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way the hen gathers her chicks under her wings." And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, so I picture tears running down Jesus' face as he says this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Like there is this lament in his voice. Mm. And he's, he's crying out to them and saying, You've you haven't done every time a prophet comes, you kill them. Like you're you you you're hard headed, you won't listen to the messengers that are coming to you, and you kill them. Right. And he's like, I have longed to gather you together under my wing, but you're too stubborn and it's too late. He says, Since your city will be left in ruins. Now I want to back up one verse higher. What, what does he say right before he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem? He says, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Okay, so um, 
this is a this is kind of a big thing. Like he is saying, this generation is gonna is going to 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 witness the things that I am talking about right here. When he says your city will be left in ruins, and you won't see me again until you're able to say we welcome the one who comes to us in the name of the Lord. So let's talk about this generation. Um, and this is part of the reason why I think a lot of people don't get the what he's saying. So to me, a good hermeneutic brings in the culture and it brings in the history and it brings in the context that was around the, 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 the event right. in which he's talking about. So a generation um, in scriptural language is a 40-year period. Yeah. And that's an important thing because 40 years in scripture has another meaning. <clears throat> and and that is a time of judgment, a time of punishment and judgment. The, the 40 kind of plays into that. You have 40 sure. years in the wilderness, which was actually 38 and a half years or whatever. But 40, 40 years in the wilderness, you had... Uh, the 40 day, um, reign of the flood, like there's 40 days is a, a 40 is, is a, is a time of judgment. So he says, this is going to happen in this generation. So let's look at history and see exactly what happened to this generation that he's talking to. So, um, this was about 33 ish AD. And so 33 years later, 66 AD, um, a Jewish attack of zealots on Roman citizens over taxation by Rome and sacrifices to the Roman emperor Nero happened at the temple. Um, The procurator Florus, who was the pilot of that day, demanded payment from the temple treasury as a result. And the Jews mocked him and called him a beggar. And he responded by ran, rounding up random Jews and just crucifying them. Right. And then the zealots rioted. So the zealots, the zealots were in existence in Jesus's time. In fact, one of Jesus's disciples is Simon, the, the zealot. zealot. Yeah. So the zealots were a a rebel faction in the Jewish, um, in, in the Jewish race that. Um, believed that they should take the nation back from Rome by force. Right. So they were they were a band of rebels. And they weren't all that religious, to be honest. Like most of them, this was freedom fighting. It wasn't about religious uh, freedom. It was about getting out from under the boot heel. Um, so when all this strife starts happening, the zealots riot uh, because of these crucifixions. The Herods then, the, Her- the family of Herods, which were sitting on the throne as a vassal king, they left. They right. left Jerusalem. They deserted. Uh-huh. And uh, Roman soldiers then flooded into the city, and there was all kinds of violence, a huge loss of life, including the high priest Ananias. Um, he died in here, and he was the high priest at the time of Jesus. Um, and the zealots held their own, actually. They did a, a pretty good job of what they were doing. And Rome began a push at that moment, this is 66 AD, to take back Jerusalem. Many Christians at that moment fled into the wilderness when they saw the armies starting to come in. And we'll see why they did that uh, a little bit later. So 
between 66 and 68, so the next couple of years, uh, tensions are continuously building around Jerusalem, and garrisons of troops, upward of 40,000, were sent. All of Judea was raided, towns uh, were, were, were raided, and uh, the Romans were massacring inhabitants of the local uh, towns. Or Because they couldn't get into Jerusalem, Jer- Jerusalem was like the most fortified city in Judea. Right. And and so they were basically locked out of it. So what they were what were they doing? We'll kill everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Going around just slaughtering people. Uh and by by 68 AD there had been over 100,000 Jews slaughtered in the countrysides. Um then in 68 AD Nero is the emperor of Rome at this time. He burns Rome. And blames the Christians. So now the Christians were seen as, we think of Christians as being Gentiles mostly. Right. <laughs> and so we don't really see them the same way the Romans saw them. Romans saw Christians as a faction of Jews. And so uh, so this was an act, even though it was an act against Christians, it was an act against Christian Jews primarily. Jews. That's right. So Nero burned Rome and blamed the Christians, and then the Christians became the enemies of the state because right. all the Romans were being poisoned against the Christians and saying, these Christians are, are tearing up everything and they're burning everything. And it was this time, by the way, that Peter and Paul were killed. Right. So Paul was beheaded, imprisoned, and beheaded. Peter was imprisoned and crucified. Um Two years later, 70 AD, Roman finally digs in and lays siege to Jerusalem. Um, now, at this time, uh, when you lay siege to a place, you're trying to starve it out. So that's what they did. They they uh, burned the Garden of Gethsemane. They burned all of the, of the Mount of Olives uh, basically down to the ground. They dug in all their troops around the walls of the city, and they prevented any food from coming in or coming out. And they did this very strategically. They yeah. waited until um, Passover when they knew that as many Jews as possible would be in the city. That's whenever they locked waited. up. That's yeah. whenever they, they did the siege. Right. And so for um, so, so they, they basically starve them out. And people were having to try and sneak out of the city to find food. And every time they would, they would get caught and they would get crucified. Uh, it got to the point to where 500 crucifixions a day were happening. 500 crucifixions a day. There were dead people and dead bodies hanging all around the city. Um, so this siege lasted about seven months. And at that point is when Titus Andronicus... Uh, he was the general at the time. His dad was sitting on the throne and he was going to make a name for himself. So what does he do? He decides he's going to break through and invade the city. And that's exactly what they do. They, they broke through the first wall. Um, they began to, to just kill everybody in the path. They were working their way all the way into the, um, the Antonia fortress, which was the, the, the Roman outpost. Uh, which had been taken over by the zealots. But if they could get into that, they could get into the temple. And the temple was their goal. And they ended up, um, 
They ended up killing over a million Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And then the temple was burned. um, And the fire grew so hot, it was like full of gold. And the fire burned so hot, the gold like melted into the mortar, into the cracks of of the bricks. And so the temple was then disassembled brick by brick and thrown off of the temple mount. Now, these bricks were huge. They were like four foot by eight foot big. So this is a huge undertaking, but not letting the gold go to waste. So they totally destroy the temple and they, they disassemble it brick by brick. So this is the context of of what happens in this next gen, in this generation. Right. Um, And so think about what this looked like from a Jewish perspective. Your world just came to an end. It's Armageddon. Yes, it is Armageddon. It yeah. is it is the it is the total destruction of everything you knew. Right. The, when the with the temple gone, there's no tabernacles, there's no ark of the covenant. There is nothing. So sacrifices halted the whole way of life. Everything they knew since Abraham, right? Has basically ceased to exist. It's the end of the age. It's the end of an era. And uh, it was a massacre. It was a Holocaust. And, uh, and so now with that hindsight, looking back at it, let's go through some of Matthew 24 now and see what Jesus has to say. And Let's see exactly what it is that's being asked of him. So let's look at the first three verses of Matthew 24. It says, As Jesus was leaving the temple courts, his disciples came to him and pointed out the beautiful aspects of architecture of the temple structures. And Jesus turned to them and said, Take a good look at all these things, for I'm telling you, there will not be one stone left upon another. It will all be leveled. Uh, yeah, on to verse 3. Oh, yeah, sorry. Later, when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came privately to where he was sitting and said, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what supernatural sign should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of the age? Okay, so, um, they're talking about, now here he is... (laughs) His heart's broken. We got the end of chapter 23 right there in front of us. His heart is broken. And as he's leaving the place, like the disciples are walking around going, oh man, isn't the temple great? Check it out. Isn't it cool? Look at how big. I mean, he's like, and so he's like, guys, it's like, this isn't going to last. He's like, take a good look. This isn't going to last. And then he makes this, this, shocking revelation that not one stone will be left upon another. And what does that do? That spurns them to question him. Right. And the, and so they, so they ask him some very specific questions. So as we, as modern readers are reading this chapter, there's some things we need to keep in mind. What was being asked of Jesus? Like what answers are, is he giving? Like, he, he said, they, they Jesus said the temple would be destroyed, and they asked, when? <laughs> that was their right. question. 
And then they wanted to know what's the signs of your coming, at least in this prediction, and the completion of the age. Now, some translations there would say end of the world, but let's not get that confused with the end of the physical existence of earth. That's not what the original text is implying, even though that word could be used that way. It is aeon, which is, a re- which is referencing a time frame or a, uh, an era. And so, so and there's nothing that, that we need to keep in mind. What did he say right there in Matthew 23? And we'll get it later on in this chapter 2. He says, I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. He bookends. This, this story is bookended with that statement. So the reason why I point all this out is because Matthew 24 is used by dispensational futurists to say all of this that Jesus is saying, or at least a big chunk of it, is pointing to our day, the 21st century. And, um, and so these are signs we should be looking for uh, in Jesus' coming. Um, so let's continue on. Let's look at, uh, verse four through 14. Jesus answered at that time, deception will run rampant. So beware that you are not fooled for many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves. I'm God's anointed and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world systems is destined to happen, but it won't yet, uh, but it won't yet be the end. It will still be unfolding. Nations will go to war against each other and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportion, horrible epidemics and famines uh, in place after place. This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. You can expect to be persecuted and even killed, for you will be hated by all nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away. They will betray one another and hate one another. And many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. But keep your hope to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. Yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. After this, the end of the age will arrive. Okay, so we see these are this is familiar readings like we hear these things even on modern radio and talking about end times there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be famine and there will be pestilence pestilence and there will be earthquakes uh unlike ever seen before like these are things that get mixed in to this whole teaching of um 21st century or further of end times prophecies so the thing that is uh, kind of confusing about this is um, that at no point does Jesus make any um, 
indication that he's changing gears. Like he's still answering the question and he's speaking to them very specifically, like you, like you need to make sure and be careful and you need to do this, that, and the other. And um, so let's look at the signs that he, that he's giving here. He says, there'll be false messiahs. There'll be wars. There'll be famines. There'll be pestilences and earthquakes one of the things that the, the, that makes this hard to nail down is because we've always had those, right? Like, when have we not had, you know, people claiming to be the Messiah? When have we not had wars? When have we not had famines? When have we not had pestilences? Earthquakes happen all the time. Right. Um, so when does it become specific? When does it become um, something that they could actually look for as a sign? the fact that they, he exclaims that they're all going to happen together. Mm -hmm. Like that is what makes it a sign. So yeah, we have all these things that we've experienced, but we're not like experiencing them simultaneously. Right. Uh, but yet that's what he says will happen. Um, so he's not talking about over the next 2000 years, you shall see, false messiahs, wars, famines, etc. He's talking about within this generation, you're going to see all five or six of these things happening at one time. Well, if we go back to the, to Flavius Josephus, who is our accredited historian who lived at the time of Jesus, he actually wrote about the Jewish war. And it's kind of funny. You can find the writings of Flavius Josephus on basically every single Christian book short store shelf ever. Right. <laughs> like it's a staple. We should have mentioned it in our last episode about gifts because I think everyone needs to have every theologian needs the works of Josephus. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you need to know about all this stuff and it's a good source. So Josephus recorded numerous <clears throat> false prophets during this time frame. He recorded four famines, two significant earthquakes, and all of them happened within a nine-year period between 41 and 50 A.D. So sign, all of it happening as a sign together was happening then. Right. Um, this is all still within this generation that Jesus spoke of. Um, then Nero, he took the throne and issued a decree to kill all Jews and Christians. And then, as we said, he set fire to Rome, blamed Christians and and all these sort of things. So all of this was like happening during this same time frame. Sure. And so it fits into the narrative of what Jesus is proclaiming um, is to, to, to happen. What did he say there? He said, you can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. Nero burns Rome, blames the Christians. Romans are killing Christians left and right. Paul dies. Peter dies. So what he's saying here happens. A really good book that I just uh, finished for my New Testament class um, is by De Silva is the name of the guy who wrote it. Um, And he's a church historian, but he's more, he's more, I mean, a cultural historian, especially Mm -hmm. at this time. Uh, Wrote a book called A Week in the Life of Ephesus. He also wrote another one. I think it's a week in the life of Rome. 
Um, but it follows some uh, Christians around during during the writing of actually during the writing of Revelation, John's Revelation. Yeah. Um, and so you follow this around and you hear. So he everything he does is like even the characters are based. It's historical fiction, so it's based on facts that were going on at Ephesus. Um, one of the characters is struggling because he's been offered the honor of serving in the new temple dedicated to uh, Diana. I think it's Diana. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, in Ephesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's the temple of Artemis. <clears throat> Artemis. That's right. And, uh, and so it's just been built and like he's, he's given this honor and, and he, he, he and his slaves, which a couple of them are Christians, uh, and some others, I, it, it shows you a great portrait, but basically there he's discussing whether or not it's, he would be betraying Christ if he served, but it was just the normal thing to do. If you right. were, if you were, uh, you know, an Ephesian. Uh, mm -hmm. Gentile, this is what you did. And so he has this horrible turmoil, inner turmoil, but in the midst of it, showing you what's going on, uh, he has a friend who's a um, a merchant who ships from Rome and a Christian, and they're talking about how Rome is actually, because of the famines going on all over, Rome is actually <laughs> making everybody uh, pay higher tribute uh, through uh uh, their their um, um, wheat tax and their 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 uh, wine tax or their uh, grape tax, right? And so they're having to basically everybody else in the nation is starving while Rome is getting taken care of because right. of the famines going on. And so you have all this backdrop going on, and and the the Christians are starting to become heavily persecuted. Um, they've already been heavily persecuted by the Jews, uh, but now Rome is starting to persecute them because they're not taking part in the typical Roman society of worshiping the Roman deities, especially the Caesar cult and all this stuff going on. So uh, it, it's really good. It con you hit on context so much, but it's really good to just read the context of what's going on at this time because it is exactly what Jesus is describing describing right here uh in Matthew 24 4 through 14 there are yes. wars there are famines uh and we're and the Christians are being persecuted on all sides and actually being turned over for being Christians by their brothers and sisters and so mm. it's this, this horrible place to live, especially if you're a Christian in the Roman Empire at this point. Um, and Nero's about to take the throne, and uh, you're going to see some horrible destruction because of him. And uh, and it's through this, that, and it's amazing because the very last chapter, the church in Ephesus gets the letter from John. Yes. Uh <laughs> in his revelation and this guy is his eyes are just opened to oh, wow. what's happening at rome and he considers rome to be the beast and nero to be the antichrist and he right. makes his decision no i'm not going to to give in and he ends up his family is completely dishonored because of it wow uh, but that's where the book leaves off so it's really good to read these 
to, to it's like left behind from a predator standpoint it is <laughs> because it, it just opens your eyes so much more okay so anyways rant aside yeah. i didn't want to distract you but yes you're right what's going on is exactly what's happening during this time according to josephus and other mm-hmm. church historians so let's go ahead and continue uh his discourse from uh let's look at verse 15 through through 28 so these are okay. some lengthy readings, but there's tons of stuff in here, so it's a long chapter. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's see, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Mm-hmm. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must go not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be the winter in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Okay, so, man, tons of stuff in here. Um, So, first off, let's talk about this abomination of desolations. So um, this was a common phrase that was that was picked up by um, uh, Dan, a prophecy of Daniel, and notice uh, Jesus says, "Let the reader understand it." <laughs> um, does the Jews, Jesus say that, or does the writer say that? Well, that's a good question. It is parenthetical, it's but parenthetical, and I really think that it was added. Let the it, reader it may, understand. It, it may have been. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to to determine whether or not this is Matthew writing it or whether it was Jesus writing right. it. Um, but the this abomination of desolation, the Jews were familiar with this. They knew, his audience knew what he was talking about. And right. that's because common knowledge was that Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled in 168 B.C., when Antiochus the Fourth and Epiphanes sacrificed a pig, pig on the in the temple, which, by the way, this is what prompted the Maccabean re- Revolution. So again, we may be talking completely in left field for you because this is not biblical knowledge. This is history that that was intertestamental. So this right. is in between Malachi the time frame. Yes, in between those the four hundred years right. of quote unquote silence was anything but silence. Uh, in that the Jews were under the heels of the Greeks at the time, or at least the uh, a portion of the Greeks. And um, this particular um, 
emperor, Antiochus IV, um, sacrificed a pig in the temple, and that was the last straw. And Judas Maccabeus rose up in revolt, and they actually took the town back. So this is like one of the zealots' uh, um, cries. Like they, they see this as this is what we need to do this again with the Romans. But um, so they all knew this abomination of desolation idea as being something to do with defiling the temple. Right. Because he does say in the holy place, when you see the abomination of desolation uh, in the holy place. So let's look at some of the things that did happen in the next 40 years. Um, In 40 AD, uh, that was at the time of Caesar Caligula, he erected an image of himself in the temple. Yes. (laughs) So because the emperors of that day saw themselves as God. Right. So... So he, they were like, you worship me if you're going to worship something. And he erected and they were pushing his- this. This was one of the biggest struggles with the Jews, but they were pushing that the emperor cult, um, really starting with Caligula, was moving mm-hmm. through and becoming the mainstream. And if anybody didn't follow through with it, they, they were viewed as an enemy of the state. Um, yes. And so for that reason, they erected Caligula's image in yeah. the temple to to show his authority over their God. Yes. So that could have been considered an abomination of desolation. Um, and even in 69 AD, um, the zealots, as they are holed up in the uh, being besieged, they actually used it, the temple as a military base. And the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, saw that as abominable. Um, and so that... Could, it could have been a reference to that. Um, also, it mentions here, when you see this, escape. <clears throat> Get out of the city. Go into the wilderness. That is unusual. That That's not what you would normally tell people. Uh, in right. times of trouble, this culture was always told, go to the nearest walled city you can find, which would have been Jerusalem. Right. And hole up. Hide out there. Uh-huh. That's that's been the traditional thing that they would have. So Jesus telling them to go to the wilderness was unusual. Yeah. Um, also, just in case there is still confusion about what time frame he's who he's talking about. Is he talking about first century Judea or is he talking about twenty first century America? <laughs> when he says, when he's telling them all these things, he's like, gather all your belongings you're working in the field, don't go back home to get your coat or anything. It'll be hard for pregnant people and nursing babies. Well, that could be anybody. But then it says, make sure your escape will not be during the winter months or on a Sabbath. Well, it sounds like he's still specifically talking to this Jewish culture if he's concerned about going and traveling on the Sabbath. Right. Um, and, it, and then he says, for this will be a time of great misery like the world has never seen. And this is sometimes people will read that and go, well, you know, we've we 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 haven't seen uh, trouble like the world has never seen. Well, that's because you're not looking at it from the perspective of a Jew whose entire existence and the entire history and lineage was tied to that temple and tied to that city. Um, So there's all kinds of of stuff going on in here. Well, and here's the deal: if if America was invaded and destroyed tomorrow red dawn Mm -hmm. happened it would be the end of your world 
Right. So that understanding yes. of world is a serious thing. It, mm. You know, it's it's your world here. <laughs> yeah. And and I think you know Jesus is talking locally. He's talking about the temple. He's yeah. talking about fleeing the city. He's talking about traveling on the Sabbath. These are local things, not mm. not not universal things. Yes. Not worldly things. His world. So yeah. And then he says um, he makes this statement <clears throat> about the tribulation. Because this is, in my opinion, the great tribulation that is occurring, that he's talking about. Right. Um, and, you know, of course, all of our preachers on the radio are telling us about a great tribulation that is yet to come. But I believe that he's talking about this time frame. He says the days will be cut short, that God will cut the days short. Otherwise, no one would survive. Um it is a miracle. You know, I said that that over a million Jews were killed in that um, in that raid, and it's a miracle that only a million Jews were killed, right. given how many people were there. Uh, Josephus actually records the fact that political upheaval in Rome itself indeed shortened the destructive siege. In other words, they had troubles back home; they needed to stop messing around in Judea and go take care of business. They had done enough to subdue the Jews and ruin them. They didn't need to top that off with an all out massacre or right. a complete Holocaust. So it was cut short, allowing for more survivors than would have normally been expected. Um, because by the way, if you have a bunch of Roman soldiers camped outside your gate for seven months, uh, guess what? When they finally get in, they're going to be pissed. Like <laughs> they, they're out for blood. And so um, the fact that they were called off, according to Josephus, is an indication that what Jesus was saying here uh, actually happened. Uh, then there's this weird thing at the end of that passage where he talks about um, he talk, for, well, uh, he talks about the birds of prey. He, t he talks about where a dead body is, there the vultures will circle. The word in the translation you read said vultures. Um, yes. Another, another way of translating that would be eagles. Um, and Rome used eagles on all their standards. Right. The eagle, eagle was a sigil of, of Rome. So it would be uh, interesting to, to consider an eagle as a bird of prey looking for over its dead corpse. This would be uh, consistent with what actually happened. Um, here's the part that starts. This is why people still think this is future stuff because of this one statement here. And we'll get to more of this, but it says the appearing of the son of man will burst forth with a brightness of lightning strike that strikes from one end of the sky to the other, illuminating the earth. Um, and like I said, we'll talk more about this coming of the son of man uh, thing, but this is what I think makes this a difficult passage. Because we look to it and we go, well, Jesus didn't come back, so he can't be talking about first century. He's got to be talking about something uh, still future. Um, but I like the imagery. It's like lightning. Uh, and constantly when he talks about his coming, by the way, he talks about it in terms of being a surprise. He talks about it, we'll see here in a minute, about uh, a thief in the night. Um, it's always... It's 
it's always like imminent. Right. Like it could happen at any time. But yet these models of dispensationalism don't teach imminence. That's why the rapture actually is a thing is because that was the only way to reconcile any type of imminent return with the rest of the passages. Um, so let's go ahead and continue on. Let's look at verse 29 through 35. So this is the coming of the Son of Man. This is, this is what makes um, the, the passages uh, a little harder to understand. Let's, let's sure. go ahead and go through that. Then immediately, this is what I saw, this is what will take place. The sun will be darkened and the moon give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and all the cosmic powers will be shaken. Then the sign announcing the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn over him and they will see the Son of Man appearing in the clouds of heaven revealed with mighty power, great splendor and glory. He will send his messengers with a loud blast of the trumpet with a great voice that will gather his beloved chosen ones by the four winds for from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the lesson from the parable of the fig tree. When spring arrives and it sends out its tender branches and sprout le- sprouts leaves, you know that ripe fruit is soon to appear. So it will be with you. For when you observe all these things taking place, you will know that he is near, even at the door. I assure you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The earth and sky will wear out and fade away before one word I speak loses its power or fails to accomplish its purpose. Okay, so um, first off, let's forget that we're living in the 21st century. If we were sitting there at Jesus' feet, would we at any point in this discussion right here think that he was jumping ahead thousands of years? No, not at all. No, I mean, this is, and and he is answering their question. Um, And I think that's very uh, important. He uses terms like immediately. Um, Then immediately this will take place. Um, So, Let's let's go through some of the confusing dialogue here. The sun and moon will darken and the stars will fall. Um, Jesus is using now apocalyptic language. Right. So he has stepped into a genre of apocalyptic speech. Um, so we we tend to want to read that as well. The actual sun will be darkened. Is that an eclipse? The moon will give no light. Is that a lunar eclipse? Stars will fall from the sky. Is that meteor showers? Cosmic powers will be shaken. Like we want to ascribe all of this to literal. So yeah, we're being ultra literal. And and a lot of people are very ultra literal when it comes to apocalyptic literature. But the thing they have to take note of is apocalyptic literature is used throughout, especially in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, describe past events. And a lot of these past events apocalyptic literature is life ending literature or world ending literature mm-hmm. power so Dan- ender- power ending right so daniel for example uses a lot of apocalyptic literature when describing what happened in 168 AD <laughs> right. right uh he in fact he says that the the sun will fall from the sky and the and the moon will be dark and i mean almost verbatim a lot of what jesus says here Sounds yes. like it 
came right from Daniel. But so, in 168 yeah. AD, did the sun fall? Did, right. did the no. did the moon fall or give no light? No. It, now it was destruction like they felt like it was, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen in literal terms. This uh, is let's give an example language. of that. Isaiah 13, yes. verse 9 and 10, is talking about the physical destruction of Babylon itself. Right. So, so in this description, Isaiah says this, Behold, the day of the Lord... Interesting term of uh, coin of term that he's using there. The day of the Lord is coming with pitiless fury and fierce anger. The land will be made desolate, destroying the sinners who inhabit it for the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The rising sun will be obscured and the moon won't shine. So... Very similar. He's talking yes. about the destruction of Babylon, which happened. Right. The sun still shines physically. The moon still shines. The stars are still there. So what's he talking about? Um, well, here's one thing that that is consistent in these, these picture images that we're getting is that whenever the sun, moon, and stars are used in apocalyptic language, they often are in reference to powers. They're in reference to... Uh, powers over the people. Um, And to give you an example of this, um, one of the most familiar dreams and dream interpretations we have is Joseph. So Joseph has a dream where the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him. Now, whenever he awakes and he tells his parents and his brothers about this dream, they get very upset at him. Why? Why? Because the sun is a representation of Isaac. The moon is a representation of Rebekah. And the stars are representations of his older brothers. So whenever he's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing before him, this is a picture of those that are in control bowing down before me. Right. Those those who are in power of me, my mother, my father, my older brothers, they will all bow before me. So whenever Jesus says the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and stars will fall, it's not just cosmic, um, physical yeah. cosmic events. It is a picture of the Jewish control that was in the place, Herod, the... Um, the high priests, all of the 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 um, the scribes, the Pharisees, the stars, they will all fall. They will they will all be shaken. All the powers will be shaken. So uh, this is this is not necessarily talking about things that are happening in the, in the sky. Um, but then he says um, he talks about the the Son of Man appearing. Now, this gets a little bit freakier, but he says the sign announcing the Son of Man will appear in the sky and the nations of the earth will mourn over him and they will see the Son of Man appearing in clouds of heaven, revealed with mighty power. So, appearing in the clouds is also an Old Testament picture. 
We see it happen time and time again when God is having a judgment over something. He comes in the clouds. Right. And there is there is this this phrase of him coming in the clouds with judgment over such and such. And so this is a picture of God's judgment coming, the Son of Man's judgment coming. So we also have pictures in the New Testament that talk about Jesus uh, being us being caught up in the clouds with him and uh, being raptured, if you want to use that term, raptured up to him. Um, I don't believe that's what it's talking about here. Like, I don't believe that is the second coming that's being discussed in these passages. These passages are talking about Jesus's judgment on the nation of Israel. He's coming in the clouds of judgment. He's not physically riding on the clouds in the sky. <laughs> His riding on the Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I, I think that this is all symbolic like okay. his coming is a yeah. coming of judgment in his name uh not necessarily um his physical coming and so it says his messengers will be a loud blast of trumpets and a great voice will uh, gather their beloved chosen ones by the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other if we look to um josephus actually josephus records something really weird so let's assume that there is some, because sometimes God does this, you know, there is something that actually does happen in the sky or whatever to, to correspond with this. Josephus records this unusual event. Uh, quoting Josephus, he says, Besides these signs in the heavens, a few days after the feast, on the, on the one and 20th day of the month, I wonder if this is May, 21st of May. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you know you know so but whatever so he says a few days after the feast on the one and twentieth day of the month a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon occurred or appeared I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals for before sunsetting chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running among the clouds and surrounding the cities. Moreover, at that feast that we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was, to perform their sacred ministrations, the priests said that in the first place they felt a quaking and then heard a great voice. And after that, they heard the sound of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So, got to take that with a grain of salt, but it is, um, it is something that eyewitnesses saw. They saw things happening in the sky. They saw things that uh, they heard great noises in the temple. Uh, they heard voices saying, let's leave this place. Um, so it, it matches what Jesus said, uh, would come. Right. Um, I do want to mention that, that he, there is a large opinion among a lot of dispensationalists and futurists that up until this point, he has been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but whenever we get to, to verse 30, 
or 29, he's now talking about 21st century plus. Like right. he's talking. So he future. switches at some point. And I've, I've heard that a lot. Um, and you know, they, they make very convincing arguments, but at the same time, if you were one of his disciples sitting there that night, mm. well, why would he? Would why would you believe at any point that he switches his, uh, you know, his discourse? Yeah, there, when, when they no ask a natural, specific question, there's no natural break there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say now at a different time. He doesn't give. I mean, there is no break from his discourse. And here's and here's the thing I want us to keep to, good hermeneutics, like. We have to forget what we know and try to interpret the text. Right. So the only reason, the only reason we think that he jumped to a, to a, a yet future event for us is because we simply know that Jesus hasn't returned. Right. Like that's the only reason we make a leap of logic here. There's no textual, textual um, evidence that points to anything. There's no hermeneutic at all that would tell us that he just switched gears and went into a, um, into a further um, futuristic uh, discussion. On the contrary, uh, fact, he uses the word immediately. Mm-hmm. At, this and, will take place after this time. Right? And then he, and then he comes right out at the end. As soon as he gets through saying all this, I assure you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. And that word all is there in the Greek text. It means exactly what it says, all right. encompassing. Like everything I've just told you will take place in this generation. Yep. Like he comes right out and tells us that. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, it's problematic uh, because, because it messes with our, uh, our mindset. Like, because right. we think we are thinking he's talking about his actual and final return, yeah. um, which I just don't think that's, that's the context of this passage. So let's look at, um, cause he's not quite through yet. Let's look at verse 36 to 44. And this is all familiar <laughs> things as well. You'll hear in all kinds of end time sermons. Sure. Concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive, not even the angels of heaven, only the Father knows. For it will be exactly like it was in the days of Noah, when the Son of Man appears. Before the flood, people lived their lives eating, drinking, marrying, and having children. They didn't realize the end was near until Noah entered the ark. And then, suddenly, the flood came and took them all away in judgment. It will happen the same way when the Son of Man appears. At that time, two men will be walking on the farm. One will be taken away in judgment, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain. One will be taken away in judgment, and the other left. This is why you must stay alert, because no one knows the day your Lord will come. But realize this, if a homeowner had known what time of night the burglar would come and rob his house... He would have been alert and ready, and not let his house be robbed. So always be ready, alert, and prepared. Because at that hour, when you're not expecting him, the Son of Man will come. Okay, so this is one of the texts that actually 
uh, is used many times in reference to pre-tribulation rapture, which is strange because he's already talked about the tribulation. Uh, (laughs) But okay, let's, 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 let's go with this for a little bit. Um, This, this particular translation took some liberties with the, with, with, with a little bit of the text. And there's, there's a little bit of his interpretation in there um, because a lot of translations will just say one will be taken the other left. You know, it says, you know, one will be working in the field. One will be taken the other left. One will be grinding or two will be grinding. One will be taken the other left. And we have uh, traditionally thought that to mean the rapture. Right. Two, guy, two guys are there working side by side, and all of a sudden, zap, one of them gets raptured up. And two the other men one walking doesn't. up a hill, one disappears, one left <laughs> standing still. And, all it, been ready. <laughs> and it makes sense in reference to this is how they get around the day, the, the, the day will come like a thief in the night argument. And the, the, he uses Noah as an example and how people were just continuing to live their lives up until the last moment. And all of a sudden, blam, it came upon them and they weren't ready for it. So, but I believe what, he's being, what is being said here is exactly how this translation puts it. One will be taken in judgment and the other one left. So people were being killed indiscriminately when the, when the Romans attacked. Right. Um, and it was happening, you know, one would be taken in judgment and the other one left. And so it's using this, this terminology in reference to this is Jesus's judgment. And so it's, it's um, I'm sure whatever is happening here is happening in reference to their heart, in reference to Jesus. Um, yes. So one, will, one, one is killed and the other one's left alive is how I interpret this. I don't, I don't think that he's talking about uh, rapture in this particular passage. Um, and so um, let's look at some of the things that make us think he uses this term again, the son of man appears. Um, so uh, look at the, the, the reason why, or so how can we read this passage? There's only like three ways we can read the passage. Uh, either everything in this prophecy happened exactly um, or happened except that the Son of Man appeared, um, which tends to make the, the prophecy seem wrong, right? Like, let's assume, assume for a second that we agree he's talking about um, the that everything's going to happen within the generation, and Jesus didn't come back. Well, that means his prophecy's wrong. So that's one way we can look at it. Most Christians with faith wouldn't believe that. Right. Um, but the second way we can take it is that the discourse is focused on the end of all things and not in the culmination of mankind upon the earth. Uh, but there's problems in relationship to the fact that he's answering specific questions and he's asserted more than once that this is going to happen within this generation. So there's problems with any type of uh, end of all things culmination of mankind on the planet earth um, issues here. Uh, or three the coming of the Son of Man referenced here is not a picture of a final return, but instead something else, a coming of, of judgment. Of judgment. Which, um, I mean, it comes out and it says of judgment over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, in judgment, in judgment. It does say that it's that the coming is going to happen suddenly and unexpectedly, mm-hmm. yet the models that are t- traditionally built out in dispensational futurism uh, kind of... a. a except for the rapture, the rapture being the exception to the rule, uh, 
allows plenty of room for the stuff to be mapped out. In fact, almost every sermon you hear on the radio presents it like fact. This is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then... It almost uh, makes you want to map it out. I mean, Harold Camping spent his entire life mapping this out because because he, he you know... And yeah. what a sad thing. The whole 21st of May thing. <laughs> the truth, you know, yeah. And and then you had, um, you know, the the Left Behind series mapped it out really well. Of course, it's presented as fiction. But if you if you read anything else by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, they will come right out and tell you this is fiction based in truth. Right. Like this is all what's really going to happen. Yep. Um, and so... And it's all based on this this whole model of mapping everything out and presenting yeah. it like it's completely crystal clear. Uh, but um, but we see that the coming in this passage is very clear. This is not a picture of Jesus coming to take us home. This is a picture of Jesus coming in judgment. Um, and so he compares it to the days of Noah. And so what happened in the days of Noah you had a few people left left behind to be saved, and the rest were washed away and taken away in judgment. Right. Um, and so I believe we're looking at a similar thing. Like he's created a model, the days of Noah, and now. And so there's a correlation there. And there's um, a big correlation between the Christians and the Jews here, right? Yes. So what, what was wiped out? Really, Judaism was wiped out more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And what was left behind? His chosen ones. Yeah. Christianity took over after this, even though it was being persecuted. Yes. Uh, horribly. The, the, the Christians remained. Now, of course, a bunch of them were killed during, yeah. <laughs> during this time. But, but, but mainly the, a part of why they survived was because they, they heeded Jesus's warning that he gave them right here. Right. They went they to the left. wilderness. In fact, yeah, many of them a, went to to Jordan and Petra and places like that. You can see a huge mass exodus exodus of Christians right before this takes place mm-hmm. in in church history, which is, I mean, so much evidence there that that this is this is what happened. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Well, let's finish out the the chapter. The last part is more. Um, instructional as far or it's more of a teaching or a sermon than it is right. uh, part of the prophecy. But let's go ahead and look at it as verse 45 through 51. Who is the one qualified to oversee the master's house? He will be a reliable servant who is wise and faithful. One he can depend on. The master will want to give him the responsibility of overseeing others in his house for his servant will lead them well and give them food at the right time. What joy and blessing will come to that faithful servant when the master comes home and finds him serving with excellence? I can promise you the master will raise him up and put him in charge of all that he owns. But the evil servant says in his heart, My master delays his coming, and who knows when he will return. And because of this delay, the servant mistreats those in his master's household instead of caring for the ones he is appointed to serve. He abuses the other servants and gives himself over to eating and drinking with drunkards. Let me tell you what will happen to him. His master will suddenly return at a time that surprises him, and he will remove him, uh, remove the abusive, selfish servant from his position of trust. 
and the master will cut him in two and assign him to the place of great sorrow and anguish along with all the other pretenders and unbelievers. Okay. So Jesus kind of concludes this prophecy with a charge of remaining on task, uh, regardless of what's on the horizon. Um, and one of the things that I want to, to make note of is the examples he's using here are very familiar with what was happening in their day. Right. Like um, the, the, the ones who were in charge, the sun, the moon, the stars, were abusive. And they were dishonest. They weren't taking care of the poor. They weren't, they, they were self-righteous. Um, they were looking at the Herods. They were eating and drinking with drunkards. They were parting it up. Um, he says, let me tell you what will happen to them. His master will come and suddenly return at a time that surprises him and will remove the abusive, selfish servant from his position Mm-hmm. of trust. So this is a picture of the judgment that came in AD 70. Um, so I think that it's all tied together. Like <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think the entire um, passage is um, a reference to what was going to come within the next 40 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, that being said, you know, there are principles we can take from it. There are things that we can apply to our lives. That's true, whether the context is the first century or 21st century. And that is that we are to be on task, just like he told them to be. Sure. Like, like we don't, we don't wait on his second coming and go, well, he's delaying. So let's just be abusive. Let's forget who we are. And so those are still principles that we need to be at hand. And so, I th- you know, there's a lot of things here, taking, feeding the poor, taking care of others. A lot of that, let's look at what's happening this year and all this in time talk that's happening, but in relationship to COVID and everything else, um, let's not lose track of who we are in all of this. Right. We're called to love God and love others. Take yeah. care of other people and you know there's so much division right now in our country it's insane Mm -hmm. um to the point where there's nothing but animosity between the right and left wing politically um there's nothing but animosity between belief systems and uh and and people of all types and backgrounds the race is still a systemic issue in our country and uh, you know we can't, as Christians, we can't lose fact of, uh, uh, lose sight of the fact that this is something that Christ is still calling us to: mm-hmm. loving God and loving others, taking care of the needy and poor. Yeah, let's assume that 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 I'm completely wrong; that we're completely wrong about this text, and it is pointed at you know something that's going to happen in the next six months or a year. <laughs> um, it doesn't change who we are. It doesn't, it doesn't change those principles that he gave those instructions there at the end to be on task. Those principles still apply to right. us. So we definitely aren't going to take that away. Like we, we want to, um, to not be lazy, not be complacent, uh, but instead to serve uh, lovingly and honorably 
empathetically. So, mm. but amen. I wanted to leave or to end the study with an addendum, and that's it's basically homework. So we didn't touch the book of Revelation, really. Nah. And at some so, point, we ought to walk through Revelation. That'd be really fun. It would be. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll give it to you as homework reading. Sure. So, but I want to I want to look at the first three verses of the book of Revelation, just as food for thought. Okay. Uh, the Revelation. As con- oh. Yeah. As context, whenever you enter your study, given what we just talked about. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So the main thing I just wanted to highlight in that passage as you as you read it is this is John writing in the first century. And he says that he's writing to his servants things that must soon take place. And then he ends that passage with a blessing uh, saying anyone who reads it aloud and those who hear it are going to be blessed and who keep. What is written, no, that word keep doesn't mean like it's commandments or anything like that. Keep means hold it in your heart. Like, right. like keep it close to you. Um, and why? For because the time, the is, time near. is near. Amen. So we'll leave it with you. And so uh, <laughs> with that said, do you have some news for us? I do. Although it's been an hour and 40 minutes, do you still want to do news? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to do news? (laughs) How about we do, we jump in the TARDIS and do uh, some church history. All right. We'll jump in the TARDIS. It's happening right now. It's cranking it up. Okay. All right. So it's not today, but yesterday... A bunch of our Catholic brothers and sisters celebrated St. Nicholas Day. That's true. Yay. So St. Nicholas, who was St. Nicholas? Uh, St. Nicholas was the bishop of, um, was it Mira? Or, I can't Mi- remember. Mira, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mira, that's right. Who uh, was known for two things, giving away gifts and punching heretics in the face. Uh <laughs> And uh, something else I learned about him, he's also the patron saint of uh, um, Men on Death Row. Did you know this? No, I did not know that. Yeah, so there's apparently there's a story uh, that Nicholas was out doing good stuff, and he came back to Mira, and he found out that there were two men who were condemned to die. And so he rushed over to where they were about to be executed. They were almost to be beheaded. And Nicholas berated the executioner and took the guys and took them to the magistrate of of Myrna and basically berated the magistrate. And the magistrate gave him a full pardon and forgave them. And then they were set free. And so from then on, he became the patron saint of 
wow. of uh, condemned men too. He was staunchly against the uh, death penalty, capital capital punishment. capital punishment. Very interesting. But also, wow. he uh, he was known to take care of women who. Uh, there was a man who was about to uh, fall on hard times. Was about to sell his women, uh, his daughters into uh, prostitution, and Saint Nicholas took care of them and enabled the girls to marry and escape. Uh, degradation and and uh, and he was also he threw some gold down a chimney uh, <laughs> and it lodged yes. in stockings that were hung up to dry and so he's an amazing dude you ought to check him out but he's where we get of course uh, our tradition of Santa Claus yes and uh, yesterday was his Saint Day so happy Saints Day Saint Nicholas. <laughs> Wish I could get a Saint's Day. Where do I sign up for that? Saint Jeremiah. Saint Jeremiah the Of Oklahoma the, City. Of Oklahoma City. <laughs> That's great. Anyways, but uh there's a lot of stuff going around in our world. Um Yep. A lot of crazy crazy stuff. Y'all be praying for the the people affected by the COVID. There's a uh um a vaccine that's going around and we're excited about that. Um, I, I pulled up a couple articles that are very interesting about 2020's most read Bible verse, um, is Isaiah 41 10. Um, and I had that so pulled the, up and I lost it. Hold they on. that wait upon the Lord. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me read it. Isaiah. Choo, 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 choo. Sorry. Give me one second. Isaiah. Forty-one ten. It says, <clears throat> "Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." Oh. Uh, which is great. So, uh, also, um, the current uh, events searched that America searched in the Bible for 2020. Um, according to Bible Gateway, the most searched uh, questions were, let's see. Uh, what, what, uh, find them. Of course, end times was searched more than anything <laughs> else. Um, what does the Bible say about COVID? <laughs> right. <laughs> search all these uh it's crazy news uh what about a cashless society the mark of the beast <laughs> all mm, these yes were the See? major major thing of the mark bible of the so yeah it kind of fits with what we've been talking about yeah <laughs> it was kind of why i felt compelled to at least present something that you know don't be right. looking for the mark of the beast like I, it's already already been a thing <laughs> Ooh, this is something very interesting in uh in in uh media right now um sony just purchased pure flicks so you may know pure flicks really? from yeah. that made christian movie movies such as overcomer and that uh, that miracles from heaven and war room <laughs> And the star, well, Sony has purchased them and their goal is to make Pure, Fic, Pure Flix a, uh, kind of like a Netflix, um, really? a feel good movies. Yeah. And they're going to, uh, 
they're they're going to distribute through Sony, and PureFlix mm-hmm. is going to they they promise to raise the bar in Christian movies um, oh. to make them more Hollywood worthy. Yeah. So we'll see how that higher works. quality. Oh. Yeah, higher quality. So I'm really excited about God's Not Dead Part Three. I don't know if you've heard, but I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know, man. Those... Kevin Sorbo. We get Kevin. Get Kevin Sorbo back. There you go. I just. It's just so. Uh, man, these these shows are so cheesy, and you could do them so much better than that. I know. It, a good example is The Chosen. Yes. Like if you guys haven't seen The Chosen. Which, by the way, we've been knocking Jerry Jenkins all night, and the chosen (laughs) is his son's endeavor. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dallas. I love you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. I don't care what your dad wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Or what your eschatology is. Just keep making movies. Yeah, just keep making movies, man. That's right. (laughs) You're doing a great job. Doing a great job. I love the chosen. It's. Season Absolutely, two set to, it's already being filmed right now, from what I understand. So, yeah, in fact, uh, they're I think Sunday they're doing a, a sneak peek of season two, and they're um, they've got a new Christmas special, a short uh, Christmas short that they're doing. Awesome! So look forward to that on so, Sunday. Yep, that's cool. So. Well, that's all I got, pretty much. Ran right, through that are, quickly. Are we ready to <laughs> sign on out? Uh, let's 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 get out of here. All right, let's do it. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into the, all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. We'll see you next time. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At gctnetwork.com. La 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 la